Tonight's Bible reading is um, from Acts 12, verses 1 to 18. And I'll be reading from the NIV version. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter allowed him out of the sorry, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was just seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to an iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent the, his angel and rescued me from, Herod, from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to, came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thought... Oh, whoops, that's the end. <laughs> Evening, everyone. My name is Daryl. I'm the senior pastor of the church, and I haven't been here for about four or five weeks. It seems like ages. Um, I'm married to Rhonda. I have two children, just to introduce myself to you. Uh, Rhonda is away at the moment. She's in um, Molong, which is where her father is living. And she, along with her... Um, 
three other sisters and a brother have gone down this weekend to pack up his unit. He has emphysema and so his lungs are not good. He's now on permanent oxygen and um, it's just a matter of time. It could be weeks, could be months. Yeah, our days and lives are in God's hands and so the Lord alone knows. So that's where she's gone this weekend. She's doing okay. I've uh, spoken to her each day and um, uh, things have gone reasonably well and Tomorrow she goes with um, her sister Julie and takes her father to another town to a nursing home there because the nursing, the home, the nursing home that's in Molong where they live, the family town, hometown, is, uh, there's no beds available. So he's gone to the next closest one but it's 30, 40 k's away and so that's A, disappointing but B, good that he's out of hospital so that's a plus. Um, and given his own state of physical health, he may never actually get back to Molong. He may, depending on God's timing and his health and stuff, uh, he may pass away very much in Yeovil. We don't know. So please pray for him. He's an Anglican by background, and he's been attending the Anglican Church off and on over the years that he's been in Molong. Um, but I think it's more of a religious thing rather than a relationship thing, that he goes through the prayer book and says the prayers, but I don't think he actually connects with God personally. Um, he certainly doesn't demonstrate any of the fruit of knowing the Lord Jesus. Um, uh, but God alone knows the heart. So that's our prayer, that he would come to faith in the Lord Jesus. My dad is in a nursing home. He's back in his hometown, Narendra, my hometown. And he's doing remarkably well. He's doing as good as he possibly could. Um, he's in a nursing home and he's you know, being looked after by nurses, which he loves the attention, and he's getting fed three times a day. And so all those good things are happening for him. So I'm grateful for that. But it just seems to be tandem, you know, it's, if it's not my dad, then it's Rhonda's dad and, and, and so on. And then just on top of all of that, I haven't been well for about a month. Um, uh, my blood pressure is way too high than what it should be, and that makes me uh, lightheaded. Um, so now I, I wake up next to an angel, Rhonda, and not only get lightheaded when I see her, but now I get lightheaded when, even when she's away. <coughs> this is recorded, isn't it? She will be able to hear that, won't she? <laughs> Otherwise, that'll be completely wasted. <coughs> <laughs> um, Rhonda comes back Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday, and uh, so please pray for her and all of that. Um, all, all families have issues. Where's Was? Um, what a blessing to have so many believers in a family. Um, so from Rhonda and me down, our kids and our grandkids. Um, my grandchildren are only five and two, but they're both strong Baptistic believers in the Lord Jesus. They've got their theology. Violet at two, she understands exactly. No, she doesn't. She rules the roost, that little two-year-old. Um, but both our kids follow the Lord Jesus and it is a relief, it's a blessing. Kate's married a Christian guy and it's just uh, a, a burden lifted. And I'd agree with Wazza, it is community, but I think it's also consistency. And... Um, be sure your sins will find you out is in the Bible. <laughs> and it does work. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry? Yep. I have some announcements that I need to bring to you besides those. Um, and I think they're going to appear on the screen. Uh, one has to do with, the ch if this is the order is correct, church directory. Yep, here we go. Church directory. How was that care team ad? with a mission impossible our care team's a hit team if you get <laughs> i'll take you out if they choose to accept the mission of course church directory it's time for the updating of all of that uh 
You've probably had your photo in it like I have for years and you may not have updated and it's probably time to do that. And, and if you're not in the directory, let me encourage you to be in the directory. I think David Daniels spoke this morning and one of the great things, one of the many good things he said this morning was that you can use the directory as a prayer guide to actually pray for one another by praying through the directory. Um, so that's happened off and on over the years, I'm sure. I've certainly done that and I'm sure many others have done that. That's one of the great things of being in the directory. So we encourage everybody who's part of our church to be in the directory. There's a form to fill in and photos to be taken and so on. So I commend that to you. That's starting... There's, there's no other information up there or I can't see it. Uh, it's next week, I think. Thank you. Next, we have Blokes Business. Uh, we've got a men's breakfast. <laughs> Details are up there. 7.30 next Saturday night. Costs five bucks and you need to... Uh, Saturday morning. morning. What did I say? Did I? I didn't. No, I said Saturday morning. You heard Saturday night. I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> I definitely said Saturday morning. <laughs> Maybe not. Saturday night at 7.30am. That doesn't make you girls misheard. Bible says a woman should be silent in church. <laughs> now I understand why. Um, I'm joking, for those who, if you don't know me, I don't mean that at all. Encourage you guys to come to that, and I think we get this mixed up. The next ad is for the ladies. I, I, that should be the men's breakfast, shouldn't it? Lace, no? Oh, all right. Lace, ladies, next Saturday night are going to have a get-together. Any more details you want to tell me about that? 80-plus women. 80-year-old women. That's outstanding. That's <laughs> has the word lace, has that been passed by the pastoral team? Has that got approval to be called that for a church minister? Lace? Really? It's got a meaning. What does lace mean? There you go. So next Saturday, men's breakfast, um, ladies at night, ladies gathering together, and it's excellent that 80 plus ladies are coming. And then the next morning, um, and also, well, on that afternoon, there is a conference. There's Bill Crowder coming. Uh, there's not a slide for this, but it's in your bulletin. Bill Crowder was a guy who came, he's with RBC, he was here last year, and he spoke superbly, and I had many positive feedbacks from him. He's coming again, he's doing a conference on the 17th in the daytime from about 1.15 till about 5, details in the bulletin. And then the next Sunday morning on the 18th, there'll be a speaker in the English services, so Bill Crowder. So I encourage you to come along and listen to him. On the Saturday, he's going to work through the Gospel of Mark, four talks in one Sunday afternoon. That'll be a real buzz, a real blessing. And then Sunday afternoon, I'm going to lead a GROW conference, a GROW course. It's a course that we've run before. If you would like to be part of that, details again are in the bulletin. It outlines what some aspects of the course are. It's about Bible reading and about prayer, about giving, financial stewardship stuff and about fellowship. So if you want to be part of that, some of the basics of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus, it'll take about two and a half, three hours and uh, that'll be next Sunday afternoon. Um, so I commend that to you. And then I don't have uh, the details for this but there is a missions trivia night which is coming up 24th, the following week after that, Saturday, the 24th of May. So like we have done in the past, getting to teams of eight, uh, it's going to cost that amount of money, $5 for an individual, $15 for a family. Um, and it, it's a great deal of fun and I commend it to you. 
So that's the stuff that's happening and the stuff that's coming to us and encourage you both to be aware of it, to participate in it and also to be in prayer about it. Let's pray. Lord, it is both nice and helpful for us to gather together as your people, to encourage one another, to have helpful conversations with each other. It's great, Lord. Thank you for the people that you have given us, both to lead us in singing and in music, such rich talent that comes from you. We thank you for the songs that we've sung tonight and the worship experience that we've had. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and its influence in our lives. And we pray now that as we think about and look at this passage in your word, that you might be pleased to speak to us, that you might shape us, correct our thinking, help us to align ourselves uh, with your will and your purposes. Help us to become closer, deeper, more passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. And Father, for all of these items we speak about, we commend that to you too, commit it to you and ask that you might put your hand of blessing upon us. So speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you going to do? Adjust your microphone. (laughs) (laughs) What's the matter with my microphone? He's gorgeous, Liz, this guy. <laughs> no. yeah. Thank you, Dan. Is that better? Yeah. Cool. Two disciples bump into each other in the town of Jerusalem. And one says to the other one, have you heard the news? No, what? James has been arrested. And not only arrested, we think he's been executed. He's actually been beheaded, which is a Roman form of execution for people who were in a Jewish environment who were uh, teaching uh, to follow a false god. So the Jewish people clearly rejected Christianity and the teaching of the Lord Jesus being the Messiah and anybody who said that Jesus was God was lined up for execution and that's what happened to James. The other person would respond by saying, but James was one of the inner circle. It's Peter, James and John. That's one of the inner circle of the three. You know, they, I would have thought they would have been really protected by the Lord. But no, James is now gone. And not only that, Herod's popularity has gone up. The political opinion polls are indicating that he's now even more popular with the Jewish people. So he's up the ante. He's now arrested Peter, another one of the inner circle. And the news is he's got him in jail over the Passover for the next seven days and then at the end of the holidays he's going to bring him out and we expect there's going to be sort of like a mock public trial like with the Lord Jesus before Pilate and he'll be found guilty and he likewise will be executed. So we've called a prayer meeting. We're going to meet together tonight. We're going to, one of the prayer meetings is going to be at the house of Mary, John Mark's mum and so we encourage you to come. Something like that was going on. And we can certainly relate to this truth that there are times in this fallen world when evil seems to be winning. When bad people get away with doing things. When the dope in Nigeria can 
kidnapped 200 plus, 300 plus girls and threatened publicly internationally that he's going to sell them into the slave market. And somehow for a time they get away with it. We ought to pray that God removes that individual. The wicked do get away with murder and yet popularity can seem to increase with it and the righteous suffer. And we ask the questions and people ask the question, where is God in all of this? Why does God allow that to happen? He could stop it, but he doesn't. What possible good can come out of this awful situation? So that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 12. Um, the church is in a transition. The church has certainly grown, but now they're starting to scatter. At the beginning of this chapter, we have James has killed, he's dead. A significant leader who saw some of those miracles that the other disciples, apostles, hadn't seen. And now he's gone. Certainly not expected. Peter's in prison. Herod's popularity is rising. And the church of God is on their knees, praying, praying earnestly. By the end of the chapter, chapter 12, we find Peter is set free from prison. We find Herod is dead himself. He's been eaten by worms in the paragraph, which is after that. And you find the word of God is spreading. The key truth that comes out of this chapter is simply this. You can't stop the gospel of the Lord Jesus. If you oppose the gospel of Jesus, you may temporarily win, but in the end you will lose, and you'll lose big. Or you can stand for the gospel, and you may temporarily lose, like James, but in the end you win, and you will win big. So that's the big truth, I think, that comes out of this chapter. It's all to do with how we are orientated towards the gospel. Our theme for this term is about connecting and connecting with God, and connecting with God in prayer and particularly corporate prayer, connecting with one another in fellowship and relationships, in life groups and connecting with others evangelistically to bring them into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. So this passage, this week, we are still focusing upon connecting with God in prayer not just personally, certainly that, not just as families, certainly that, life groups, but also as a church. This passage talks about, verse 5, that we're going to spend a little bit of time on, that the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So I just want to work through the passage. I'm going to make four truths, I guess, and then make some observations and comments about it just as we go through. So here is the first thing, coming out of that first part of the chapter first four verses where James has been arrested he's been executed now Peter is arrested and awaiting execution here is the truth God is almighty and he does not always prevent bad things happening God is sovereign all-powerful almighty and mysteriously he does not always prevent bad things happening in this chapter, it's the untimely death of one of his chosen servants. This family of Herod, just by way of background, very quickly, is a family who was opposed to God in all of his ways. The grandfather, Herod, was the Herod the Great that we know about through the Christmas story, through the birth of the Lord Jesus, who has the infants of Bethlehem slaughtered. That's the grandfather. And then his son, another Herod, was the guy who had John the Baptist's head cut off, and he's the guy who was at the trial, another Herod at the trial of Jesus, whom Jesus called a fox. And then there was the grandson, who is this one here in Acts chapter 12, Agrippa, who died in AD 44. The end of this chapter happens then at the age of 54, eaten by worms. 
And then his son is the one in Acts, later on in Acts, chapter 21 or 22, somewhere there, where it's, uh, where, who Paul appears before, another Herod. This grandson in this chapter, Herod Agrippa, is a political animal. When he was in Rome, it was pretty much do as the Romans do. And he got off track and mislaid and eventually finds a political posting and they send him to uh, Palestine, to Israel, to Jerusalem and he sort of ends up being over the whole country and um, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Jerusalem, do as the Jews do. And so he was a politically sensitive, astute manipulator and that's what he was doing. He tried to endear himself to the Jews and that's certainly what he was doing here. When he saw that James, who was Jewish by nationality but not Jewish by religion because he was a follower of Jesus, because he was different, he had him arrested and executed and when the people, the Jewish people, thought that was wonderful, so then he proceeded to repeat it. So he's after political popularity, after political gain. That's the background. God is almighty and he does not always prevent bad things happening. He allows bad things to happen in this world. 300 plus girls getting kidnapped, nations invading nations, athletes shooting girlfriends. Those people who teach or who believe that it is always God's will to deliver us from sickness or from tragedy or from death are wrong. They are f- it's false teaching. God does not always deliver us from those things and he does not deliver James from his execution. And for those of us who feel that when bad things do happen, when you feel that God therefore must not love us, we are equally as wrong. It may feel like it, but it's not the case. We must always interpret our circumstances by God's love and not interpret God's love by our circumstances. Does that make sense? We must always interpret our circumstances with the understanding that God is sovereign and God loves me. This is not happening because somehow I am in disfavour. But that God loves me and He is committed to me and to me becoming more like the Lord Jesus regardless of my outward circumstances. God is almighty but he does not always prevent bad things from happening. Number two, God is almighty and God has chosen to work through the prayers of his people to achieve his purposes and to teach us to rely on him. James is dead, Peter is arrested, no explanation is given and verse 5 tends to zoom in on this text of saying but the church gathered together and were praying earnestly to God for him did the church pray for James well we're not told probably but it's interesting the answer that time is no and so too in our experience when we pray God does not always say yes God doesn't obey our whims and fancies and things he is sovereign God and he's working his purposes out And that's not what prayer is about. God can say, request denied. And whenever he does do so, it's always out of his perfect will of what that which is best and that which is certainly for his glory. But more often than not, God's response to our prayer is either yes 
but not yet. You have to wait. It's delayed. So, yes, it'll happen, but the timing, just wait. Or, yes, you can have it, but different. Not just like that, but close. I'll give you this instead. Instead of a VW, I'll give you a Ferrari. <laughs> Whatever. Or, it's a, as you requested, so you shall have. It's a definite response of saying, exactly what you ask for is what you get. But it's, yes, 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 as compared to one, no. Now, Heavenly Father is a loving Father who is concerned about us as His children, who wants us to grow and go in His ways. So, did the church pray in faith? Well, it doesn't seem so, does it? But the reality is we don't know what they prayed for. If they did pray, then it seems that their faith was weak. There is a difference between no faith and weak faith. How much faith do you have to have to move a mountain? Size of a mustard seed. So weak faith is nonetheless real faith and God certainly looks for and responds to that. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us that even though our faith is weak, God is able to do far more than we ask for or can even imagine. He answers us according to His will, not the merit of our praying. And I say, and it's an assumption, but it seems the church didn't have a lot of faith when they were gathering together to pray. What did they ask for? <clears throat> well, he's arrested, he's facing execution. What do you think they asked for? Do you think they asked for God to deliver him? Because they certainly are astonished and amazed when he's out of prison and he's delivered. What else could they have prayed for? We, we don't know, we're not told. Another possibility is, what happened to Peter before? What is Peter well known for? His denial. I wonder if the church is gathering together and they're praying for him, not for his deliverance, but they're praying for his stability, for him to stay true to not deny the Lord Jesus this time for his own neck, but to be faithful. I wonder if they were praying that. Maybe. We're not told. We're simply told that the church was gathering together and they were praying earnestly for him. And it would appear that faith is not strong. They were, many of them, it says in verse 12, many had gathered together to pray. And they were praying intensely for him. And then God, in response, in God's sovereignty, in God's plan, uh, he sends an angel. And Peter is delivered, he's out of prison, but he's obviously a man who is wanted, so he's on a schedule. Uh, the guards aren't after him yet, but before very long they will be. Down in verse 19, there is a search made for him, and so that's coming. And so when he realises he's out of jail and he's out in the middle of the street by himself, what does he do? He goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark a guy who would have close ministry with Peter over the next decade or so. And I can imagine Peter going through the streets of Jerusalem through the shadows because he's a wanted man and he's probably pretty well known in Jerusalem. And there, when he gets to the house of um, Mary, he finds that there's an outside gate and it's closed, it's locked and he can't get in and it's the middle of the night and he's not trying to draw attention to himself but he's knocking and he's saying let me in let me in and the church is inside praying and a servant girl by the name of Rhonda I think her name is actually her name is Rhoda and Rhoda means rose 
So it's Rose at the house of Mary. So that would be Rosemary, wouldn't it? No, let's do it with Rhonda. Um, she's the servant girl whose job is to enter the door and so she hears this knocking and so she goes to the front door and she gets to the front door and what do you think she said? It's night time. Somebody's outside. There aren't any street lights. Let me in. What are you going to say? Who is it? <laughs> and Peter says, it's me. You ever had somebody ring on the phone and they don't give you their name? They just start talking and you know who it is because you've heard their voice? That's a bit like Peter. Rhoda's heard Peter speak before. He's been preaching and teaching and discipling and, and she's so excited that he's outside. She's in a doorway, then there's a gate on the outside and he's out there and she's so excited that he's there. She goes back inside to tell everybody. And when she gets back inside, they're kneeling down, they're praying, Dear Lord, please deliver Peter out of prison or whatever they're praying. We don't know what they're praying. And she said, He's at the gate. To which they said, verse 15, you're crazy. So she repeats it. No, he's outside. Well, did you see him? No, but I heard him. And so they said, well, it must be his angel. Push the pause button. The Jewish people had a belief in guardian angels. Do you believe in guardian angels? The Jewish people believed that each of the Jewish people had a guardian angel. And the guardian angel would appear and they would look like you, have the same face and the same sort of physical appearance when you died. So they thought, with their culture, their background, that understanding, she said, but I heard him. They said, well, it must be his angel. In other words, he's dead. He's already been executed. And so she insists, and eventually they go to the front door and they open it and lo and behold, Peter is standing there. He's still outside, obviously. If you took the camera outside and you wanted to know what was going on, he's outside saying, let me in. Where'd she go? Let me in. He's not trying to draw attention to himself. It's the middle of the night, middle of the street. And he doesn't want to draw attention focus on himself and so there he is so was the church praying strongly in faith probably not but at least they were praying and they were certainly praying passionately they were praying earnestly verse 5 tells us four things about prayer which is worth noting it's the church group of people earnestly praying talk about that to God for him there are four points in that verse which are worth noting that's the church was united it wasn't everybody in the church because later on Peter says when he tells them the story can you pass this on to James and to the other brothers so they weren't there where were they well maybe at another prayer meeting in another location or maybe in hiding because they were significant leaders James the brother of the Lord Jesus but it was the church a significant number of representatives so it could be called the church was gathering together to pray was it just a one night prayer meeting not told <clears throat> but it's over Passover, so there are seven nights. So was it a prayer meeting that went on for seven days? Was that how they did it? Not told. But possibly. It's the church gathering together. And it says they prayed earnestly, intensely. King James certainly translates this as a reference to time, without ceasing. And that's not likely to be the understanding. The, the Greek word literally means to pray in a way which is stretching to the limit. So the translators back in the 16th century, the authorised version, were taking it as a reference to time, stretching it to the limit continually over and over and over. But it's far more likely that it's a reference more to passion, to be stretching to the limit passionately, earnestly. They gave it their all. It's the same word which is used when Jesus in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane is praying and in agony prays 
earnestly and his sweats great drops of blood it's entering into this not just saying the words but feeling it deeply and communicating it sincerely it had their attention and because they were concerned about it they were pouring out their hearts to God with all their hearts well how do you get that oh I think by being in tune with what you're feeling and sensing and asking God to give you a a burden to give you the sense of um, what's on his heart the Bible says Romans 8 that um, we don't know what how to pray for or what to pray for as we all but the Holy Spirit uh, utters with groans that are deep and beyond our understanding it's asking the Lord to can you work that in my life so that I can pray like that earnestly intensely it's not working it up it's not pretending it's not praying in a loud voice or thumping your hands or that's coming out of the flesh this is a sincere heartfelt genuine expression and if you tap into that then you'll find I find for me anyway that grows that develops so the church united gathered together was praying intensely to God not all prayer is to God sometimes prayer is to ourselves sometimes prayer is to others we're trying to impress other people but here there was this concentrated awareness we are talking to the Lord they had entered into the throne room of heaven and they were addressing him they were praying to God and pouring out their petitions to him something I found very helpful when I was a young believer and occasionally um, imagine this in my mind somebody said to me I found it hard to be praying and the person said get an empty chair and put it in front of you and then when you pray and when I pray I tend to close my eyes not always but usually and when you pray imagine the Lord Jesus sitting in that chair and talk to him there I found that really helpful for me it helped me to concentrate upon I'm talking to the Lord Jesus talking to God and so now I imagine myself actually entering through the doors of the throne room of heaven and going into the throne where we the Lord is sitting on this lovely white throne that's often a prayer um, experience for me these people were praying together earnestly to God and specifically for him it's definite specific it's focused and that's always helpful for us the more specific we are in prayer the easier it will be for us to identify an answer to prayer but like I said we're not given the details but they were praying for him probably for his deliverance or for him standing to be faithful but they were still surprised amazed just like we can be when God answers our prayer it's always thrilling and it can surprise us I'll never forget the time I was at teachers college in Wagga and we had prayed for um, contact with people evangelistically and God had answered that prayer rather specifically and I remember just feeling emotionally high about it and as I'm walking back to the dorm the Lord rebuked me well I thought think it was the Lord who rebuked me it was basically like saying if you are so surprised by my response does that indicate that you didn't really expect my response that you didn't really believe I found that confronting that's a bit like this 
God can always surprise us. On our best day, our levels of faith are never, always, never perfect. There's always an element of a lack of faith or a, a level of unbelief, a, a question in the back of our mind. But I just think it's wonderful that my faith doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be real. It has to be exercised. Just like the father who brings his son to the Lord Jesus who had a demon. and He says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think for as long as we live, God will often astonish us, amaze us with his answers to prayer. So it's not about whipping ourselves up and making, forcing ourselves to believe. It's really about developing a, a childlike trust and faith in our loving Heavenly Father, keeping it real, keeping it simple, keeping it focused upon him. So God is almighty and he doesn't always prevent bad things from happening in this world. God is almighty and he works through our prayers to achieve his will and to teach us to rely on him. Third, God is almighty and he can easily deliver his servants from humanly impossible situations whenever he chooses to do so. Nothing is impossible to him. This is the third time Peter has been in prison, chapter 4, chapter 5. And so now in chapter 12, when he's arrested, this time Herod's gone the extra mile. He's put uh, a squad of four, sol- four squads of four soldiers to be on a rotating basis. But every six hours, two, cha- two will be chained to Peter. How long was the chain? Don't know. Probably long. Not short, but probably long. So that he had arm movement and stuff and he could sleep and rest and, you know, everything else. And there were two chained to him. There were two at the door. And then after six hours, they would change. Those four would go away and four others would come and replace them. On top of that, in verse 10 of chapter 12, there are also two guards and an iron gate outside the prison. It's an impossible situation to get out of. And yet God got him out of it with one angel. Not a battalion, not a squad, just one. Nothing is impossible for God. Whatever situation you find yourself in, not impossible for him look to him because he can easily deliver us from anything which we think is humanly impossible this is uh the time is the night before the trial um so seven days six days have gone this is now the the last night the next day passover is finished and peter's going to be brought out for a public trial and on that night he's asleep is that significant does that indicate a level of trust or a decreasing of anxiety for him or is he just so completely exhausted that he's just sleeping? God sends an angel. This is a mystery to me. The Bible doesn't tell us the details. Are the guards asleep? They're not supposed to be, and it would be the death penalty for them if it was. Perhaps they were. But if they weren't asleep, how can they not be aware of what's going on? Well, God somehow blinded them. A bit like in Lord of the Rings, you know, you put that invisible cloak over. They just are there, but they're not seeing what's going on. Somehow God did something incredible. God sent an angel. Peter's fast asleep. The the, uh, cell fills with light. I don't know why, but it does. And Peter's still asleep. So the passage says the angel goes over to Peter and thumps him. Wake up. He speaks to him. Get up. Get dressed. Tighten your belt. Put your sandals on. Grab your jacket, your coat. Let's go. And the chains that were around Peter's wrist somehow just fell off. He, of course, thinks he's dreaming. It's a very pleasant dream. Um, and he follows the angel he walks out the door um, and as uh, chains fall off he leaves these two guards here he gets to this door where there are two guards there and somehow the door opens and he goes through that one now there's an iron gate 
And just like in Woolworths or Coles, it's just an automatic thing. The gate just opens by itself and they go through. He's having a dream. He thinks he is. And historians, archaeologists tell us those going gates open, the prison was elevated, he goes down nine steps and he finds himself out in the street, outside. Maybe the iron gate's still open. The guards are still not chasing him, they're still not aware of what's going on. And then as he goes down one block, down to the street, gets to the corner and suddenly the angel disappears, leaves him, doesn't even say goodbye. And then Peter realises he's not dreaming. He comes to himself and he realises that God has delivered him. Well, just some quick comments about that. Number one, the chains, the guard, the door and the iron gate mean nothing to God. We often worry about what binds us, our prison, our iron gate that we can't get through. And we tend to worry about it even before we get to it. God didn't open the iron gate until Peter got to it. Bit of a stretch, I know, from the text, but I think it's the way God seems to operate in this world, to get God's grace in God's time for God's purposes. That you'll get a sense of God's peace when you need it, not necessarily when you want it that God, nothing is impossible for him. Um, does Peter's sleeping indicate that he is trusting God? Perhaps that he cast all his cares upon him? Um, it's also true to observe that Peter obeyed the angel and he followed the angel out. He obeyed without really knowing what was happening. He sensed probably that God was doing something and he followed. The explanation came later. Now, there's a truth for us. It's often that way for us as well, that we need to follow what we sense God to be saying to us and doing, even though we don't understand it. And even though there is no explanation, the explanation will come later. And sometimes, like Peter, it's only in looking back that you see God did something. God was in this. And finally, I don't know why, but it seems to be true that God often waits till the 11th hour to deliver us. Whether that's to motivate us to continue to pray, to trust Him, to rely upon Him, God could have delivered Him at any point during that week, but it's on the night before the trial, at the 11th hour, that God comes through. So we need to likewise trust Him and His timing to be perfect. So here is Peter at the house and now he's inside and he tells everybody to calm down and shush up because he wants to tell them a story and he does and please tell James and the others and, and then he leaves. Verses 18 and 19 that Liana stopped, didn't read. The next day the soldiers become aware at dawn. They become aware that Peter's not there. So does that indicate they were asleep? Whatever happened to them, they suddenly, where'd he go? They must have been suspicious of each other. And verse 19 actually says rather sadly that there was a search for Peter and then Herod examines the guards and he finds them to be faulty. Maybe they were asleep and he has them executed. Herod goes off to Caesarea, he needs a holiday, goes back to the beach. And the fourth truth is that God is almighty and he can remove powerful and proud human leaders. Herod in the next paragraph will be killed by worms. The angel strikes him. Just like the angel struck Peter in prison and woke him up, so the angel of the Lord struck Herod, except it destroyed him.
God is almighty and he can remove powerful and proud human leaders, which is what we ought to pray in our world. Conclusion. Prayer is a wonderful privilege. God opens the throne room of heaven for us and he invites us to come in. He promises to hear us when we call to him and he promises to answer us according to his will. It seems to me that prayer is hard work, as Pastor David Butterfield taught us last week about Moses raising his hands all day. It's hard work. And yet, it's also as easy as a conversation. (coughs) Prayer is unnatural because of our sinful independence. And yet, it's also normal because that's the way that God has made us and that's how God wants us to relate and live in this world. God wants us to connect with him in prayer together for specific needs and for specific situations. So these are the four truths that I spoke about tonight. God is almighty and he doesn't always prevent bad things happening. Not sure what's going on in your life, in your world. God is still sovereign. He's still in control. And even when terrible things are happening, he's still on the throne. Just continue to trust him and wait for him to pour out his purposes to make it clear. God is almighty and he works through our prayers. I don't think this is true, but I thought about this during the week. It's almost like when God created the world and Satan has rebelled and now there is a spiritual warfare going on. It's almost like God has taken his powerful arms and put them behind his back and said, okay, I will not do anything unless my people ask me to. They're the rules of the competition that's going on, the fight that's going on. It's almost like that. That the Lord responds when we pray and that sometimes the Lord does not act unless we pray. I say... It seems to be something like that, but I don't think that's the full picture because he's sovereign. He has his plan and he'll work his purposes out. That certainly helps us perhaps to understand why God will put a burden on our heart, please pray about this, or wake you up in the middle of the night and pray about this for this person. There's a remarkable story, better finish, of a guy called D.E. Host. He was the follower. He succeeded uh, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was this magnificent missionary to China, raised up hundreds of people to go to China and, and to follow them. And D.E. Host became the leader of the, um, the mission organisation. And it, he was uh, on active service in China and he found that he had lots of villages that he had to visit and had responsibility for. And there were these villages on this side of a mountain range that he would visit and disciple and teach and pray and counsel and put a lot of time and effort in. And that because then he had to take time out to travel over the mountain range to get to the other villages on the other side, he found that he only got there, say, once a year. He only got there occasionally. But he put all his time and effort in here. And then over the years, what he found were the churches over the mountain range were growing, were multiplying and people coming to faith and they were much healthier and stronger. And the churches here were, by comparison, not as strong. That mystified him. So he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord simply said to him, it's because you spend more time praying for those churches that you're not visiting 
than you do praying for these churches where you are visiting. Now, here's a powerful illustration, isn't there? The key is prayer. The key is us asking the Lord to do things, not in our own strength, not us counselling, not us visiting, not us doing this, not us preaching, not us discipling. We have to do that, but in reliance and dependence upon Him in prayer. He is almighty, and He seems to work through our prayers to achieve His will, teaching us to rely on Him. Thirdly, God is almighty, and He can easily deliver His servants from humanly impossible situations might be an encouragement for you and finally he can remove and does remove powerful and proud human leaders and that's what i'm praying that god will remove the dope from nigeria and deal with him let's pray heavenly father we've heard and know many of these truths before but it seems that you want to remind us of them and to that end, Lord, therefore, I pray that you might help us not just to know this, but actually to be doing it, to be growing, um, dis disciplining ourselves and committing ourselves to be prayerful, individually, as families, in groups, and as a church. Lord, teach us to pray. Open our eyes to see the harvest field. Lead us in your ways. We desire your name to be honoured and for you to be glorified. Do so, Lord, I pray, through us, but also through our brothers and sister churches around us as well. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your great name. Amen. We're going to finish the service with a song that we did before the sermon. And the music teacher in me wants to say that this is your opportunity to sing it better. Um, so I'm just throwing down the challenge to you guys. So you can stand up, thanks. Bye.